the number one feature of technology is its storage. Okay, so that's not true. But it is one of the most critical pieces, and it enables software to function. How fast, how easy, and how much data can be accessed and leveraged inside of an application? I mean, storage and file systems play a critical part in that effectiveness and user experience. But file systems have largely evolved unnoticed. Existing file systems were written 20 years ago are kind of like Microsoft Word. It works, but you can't collaborate with it. You don't get the full effectiveness. And in fact, if you had a project that started at night and had to be done the next morning, everyone would overwrite everyone else's work and whoever was in charge of it would have a major headache. The best work wouldn't be done. In the case of a parallel file system, there's no latency. You're not waiting for anything. That's Ken Grow, president and CRO at Weka.io, a company that is working to solve those data and storage obstacles by eliminating and replacing legacy systems with cloud-based collaborative file systems. And we're not talking about files like a spreadsheet. We're talking about huge, massive files like electronic medical records, DNA and gene maps, and other critical files that now can be updated around the world just like a spreadsheet. Hear how Weka.io played a role in COVID vaccine development in a way that would not have been possible just a few years ago. Learn more about that, plus other applications of modern file systems next on IT Visionaries. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the president and CRO of Weka.io, Ken Groey. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks guys. I can't wait to get going through this. All right, Ken, right out the gate, we always ask all of our guests to describe the company they work for. So tell everyone in our audience, what is Weka? Oh, well, great. It's the first time hearing about Weka. This probably won't be the last. Weka, I know it's a weird uh, name uh, to really go after, but Weka actually is short for Weka Byte. So everyone knows what a megabyte is, a gigabyte, even a terabyte. Today, a Weka Byte is 10 to the 30th power. So it's 10 times 10 times 10 and up to 30. It's all, it's future-proofed. It's all the information you fit in a file system. That's how the founders came up with the name. And it's similar to Google, which is a misspelling and mispronunciation of Google, which is a Google byte, yep. which is 10 to the 100th power. They beat us to it, but uh, it's a good way to do it. But that, <laughs> that's what uh, the, that's what WEC is. The founders are uh, three folks that were involved with XIV, which was a company acquired by IBM. And uh, so that, that's the background of how they got to be so proficient on the file system. And I work for the founders and I am president CRO working for Laron, who's one of the founders and uh, actually CEO. Gotcha. And so... Help us understand a little bit about Weka is accomplishing or seeking to accomplish. Uh, on the website, it talks about how you're focused on handling the most demanding storage challenges and the most data-intensive technical computing environments. One of the things that we always talk about is, or excuse me, our clients always talk about is, of course, the continued explosion of data. And of course, you're going to need file systems that can handle all these all this information so that it's usable. Tell us what Weka is attempting to accomplish, what problems it's trying to solve for, and you know we'll go we'll dive in deeper into what its use cases are for the development audience that we have. No problem at all. So yeah, we do very well across life sciences, financial, and then sometimes we either lead or follow a GPU. So if there's a crossroads of three different uh, major trends, one's flash, one is cloud, 
and one is GPU. And we're in the crossroads of all three, which is really cool. What we do specifically is uh, for every application, uh, we tend to run 10 times faster with its mixed workload or a large workload. You can start as low as our smallest customers, 50 terabytes, and our largest customers, multiple exabytes. And uh, some of the customers let us use their logo. Some of them do not. But we grew over 600% last year, and we just finished up our fiscal year. So we'll announce those earnings soon as a private company. Um, but as we celebrate the numbers, uh, we're growing very, very well, even during these COVID times. So as I mentioned with life sciences, you might see us in play on cryo-EM microscopes or making breakthroughs. Uh, we were involved with some of the people who had the vaccine for COVID, and we were involved with more, nothing's more important than the COVID vaccine, for example. But almost as important as that, we've also been involved with uh, the COVID resiliency. In fact, one of the largest big data farms actually is in, over in England, and uh, Genomics England is the name of the organization, and we do have public ability to talk about. They've, they've talked about it quite often. They're over 70 petabytes, and they go through a very big problem. You spoke of big problems. Almost more important than the rush to market to get it, a very good vaccine out, but also you had to figure out the uh, bifurcation and trifurcation of who do you take care of first? You know, you take care of someone who's really ill from COVID or frontline workers first and et cetera. So to do that, you need to do up to 5 million genomes. For example, uh, Genomics England actually has up to 5, not all the way up to 5 million genomes, but we actually get those tabulations, 5 million genomes as fast as possible. And they've been uh, quite a big customer of ours. So at the end of the day, we're 10x faster as a file system. And people can use that either as money as time or time as money or a race to a cure, whether it be a vaccine for COVID or resiliency around COVID uh, globally. So on an architectural level, do you have any insight as to how, you know, without giving away your secrets, but how is the system 10x faster? The past file systems in place, not to name them by name, were around, developed around the late 90s or the early 2000s. And they were designed at a time when people were storing information on spinning disk. And I've been in this business 33 years. In fact, I'm full disclosure, I was employee number 110 of a company called EMC, which <laughs> most people kind of tap their, tap their cap and say, that's the company that kind of made storage. Literally, when I joined this business in the late 80s, literally, I joined April 1st of 1988, when people bought applications, it didn't matter if it was General Ledger, ERP, or even things before ERP, or whatever, or CRM, whatever you bought used to spend $99 out of every 100 proportionally on the server and one on the storage. It was an afterthought. It was a commodity. Now, and I have a brother who still works at, well, he works at Dell now. He worked, uh, formerly worked at EMC before the acquisition. He tells me that over 80% of his quota is still storage-based and less than 20% is server-based. So ironically, things have flipped So as part of it. But uh, what we do is just a native uh, POSIX file system that has none of the roadblocks of the past. So it started with a clean slate of basically saying, what if the world was only flash-based? What if it was only cloud-based? What if we only had accelerated compute? So it's positioned to take advantage of GPUs and accelerated computes that goes to GPUs. So we're great partners. In fact, NVIDIA's invest in this. So they start with a clean sheet of paper to basically say, what if we start with all over again? And if we assume the whole world only used flash, only uses cloud, for replication or other use cases or primary use cases, and if they only could use Accelerate Compute, and then what great things could be happen uh, around AI. I'm glad you went to a website. Yeah, the problems that we're solving is, what if you start brand new with a file system? Could you do it based on those premises? And our, most of our competition, you know, would it be Luster or GPFS, have been around for literally 20 plus years when the world was using, I don't know, five and a quarter inch or three and a half inch disk drives as a storage media. Um, didn't have the blessing that we had that everyone's using NVMe Flash for everything we do. Yeah. So today, Weka is 
you mentioned cloud native. You mentioned also if people are storing petabytes of data or like you said, hexabytes of data locally on-prem. Is Weka a software system that can be implemented in native as well as cloud applications? Is it a whole new structure, infrastructure? Explain for our audience, like what is, if they were to use Weka service, like how would they get access to and how would they deploy it? Great question to tee it up. You can go to our website today and download it literally a few clicks. It's available on AWS for free to trial through it. So just go to Weka.io and um, you'll, you'll actually have the ability to use it. You'll have it for a certain time period for free. And after that, we'll find a way to either long-term use it within the cloud or long-term use it on-premises. But no, most of our clients, because uh, of the demands of the performance, have been using on-premises just by their choice. They could use it in the cloud as well. But what happens is you, put, uh, you run it on a predetermined server, NVMe server, from either Hewlett-Packard or from Dell or from Supermicro or Hitachi Ventara, uh, some of the major brands. Penguin Computing uses it well. On the cloud, we tend to do most with AWS. But um, what happens is all it is is software that we monetize and sell as a subscription. Many people do it in three years. Some people do it in five. And you might say, why are you doing it in five if you move in servers every three years? Well, if you think about it, the file system has more permanency than a server farm. So you know the next servers you buy. Well, if you're buying Dell today and you can upgrade to NVIDIA later, or you're buying HPE now, are you going to buy a different type of HPE server that has NVIDIA GPUs embedded in it as they resell that? Then you know you have permanency of the file system. And then the last piece in the go-to-market is we use OPP. Now, that's not the song by Naughty by Nature. <laughs> um, what I mean by that, so other people's people is what it really stands for. And what I mean by that is, for those listening, I know you have a very technical audience, but look at the go-to-market of a company called Veritas or a company called VMware. People bought VMware, but you never bought VMware from VMware. You bought it from the server vendor you used to dealing with. So if you love Dell servers, buy VMware through Dell. If you love HPE servers, buy it through HPE. If you like Hitachi servers, buy it through HPE. If you want in the cloud, run it through AWS. Keep doing business the way you're normally doing it. But all you're really doing is you're upgrading the performance and you kind of ask for it. And there's a small price premium, but not what you think. So like maybe 20 years ago, if I was shopping for a computer, I would buy, I didn't care what computer I bought, but I wanted Intel inside. It has a certain quality, a certain distinction that I wanted the latest, greatest Intel processor in, embedded in that, whether I bought a Dell or geez, back then it was probably Compaq. But my point being is that Intel inside type of moniker is what's doing with us. We do it Wacker within. So if you're like, wait a minute, you're trying to cure you know, some type of ailment, whether it be Alzheimer's or you're a company that's working on cystic fibrosis, or you're just trying to get the most amount of genomes or you're working with a CRISPR and you're really working through life sciences, or you're doing autonomous driving or autonomous fleets in the case of trucking or autonomous air flights in the case of, you know, cross uh, transcendental um, flights that take care of supply chain. In those cases, money is time and time is money. So you want to accelerate that. So you would act for we- ask for WECA within. And those great server partners we have really are partners and they have available on their menu a WECA offering and they choose to go with WECA and when that happens, you have bigger impact as part of it. Give me an idea of when your customers reach, I guess, a critical threshold where their existing file system just doesn't work anymore so that our audience can have an uh, idea of the scope, scale, and size of problems you're looking to solve. Well, we have a particular university from the West Coast, and they had 200 scientists. And uh, they had a file system, but it wasn't a parallel file system. Let me explain the difference. Almost everybody, if you've ever ran a project before, even if it's 10 people, and sorry for the weird analogy, but I'll, I'll draw it to Google Docs versus Word. If you have 10 people working on a project and you're doing it at night and it has to be ready by 8 a.m. tomorrow or the next day, and 
a lot of people probably been through that duress in their lives. If you had a word document, everyone's getting mad at everybody. All right, who has it for this time and then this time and this time? You're working in a serial fashion. That's one of the problems of the existing file systems. You go to a parallel file system, which is what one of the things you need to make AI really work. You have a GPU. Some of, most of the times it's from NVIDIA. But to make that work, you have a parallel file system. The analogy would be if you had to get that project done with 10 people and you're all working on Word, well, everyone's writing away everybody else. Everyone's like, wait a minute, I get it from 8 to 9, you get it from 9 to 10 in a serial fashion. If you go to Google Docs, all 10 people can get all their great thoughts and they're in place. You all collaborate together. That's the benefit of you working with WEC with a file system. If you had 200 scientists, and you get a grant of, say, $10 million. And the salaries for those people, rightfully so, or I don't know, I'll throw a number out. Let's say a million dollars. Okay. <laughs> so you have a million dollars in salary. Big number, yeah. Not for person, but let's make it round. Okay. A million dollars for salaries, a million dollars of equipment. And you have some period of time to make progress on, I don't know, maybe you're working through cryolim microscopes on earthworms to figure out how the human race can, instead of have a life expectancy of 78, can get up to 82. So good, good stuff they're working on. This is a leaning university. This is a real case. And they found out, wait a minute, if you had 200 scientists, we were literally time sharing it because you couldn't collaborate. Everyone's, everyone's work was overriding everyone else's work. So literally, you were one of those 200 scientists. You knew you could only use that cryo microscope to cost a million dollars. You could only use it between 1030 and 1025. Now, I'm not a scientist, but if I really want to do great work, wouldn't you want to use that cryo microscope to cost a million dollars? Wouldn't you want to work it from Monday all the way to Friday? If you want to check in your information, want to do more information, more log files, more data change, more data points, wouldn't you want 40 hours to do that microscope? And wouldn't you want all your peers, all 199 that work next to you, even in this COVID world where it's all remote, wouldn't you want everyone to work through that microscope all collaboratively? Same way you'd want to use a Google Doc versus a Microsoft Word document. So the parallel I would draw is existing file systems were written 20 years ago are kind of like Microsoft Word. It works, but you can't collaborate with it. You don't get the full effectiveness. And in fact, if you had a project that started at night and had to be done the next morning, you had 10 people working on it, everyone would overwrite everyone else's work, and whoever was in charge of it would have a major headache, and the, the best work wouldn't be done. In the case of a parallel file system with WECA, all 200 scientists can get the full usefulness of those microscopes every single day, do as much work as they can, so the late, there's no latency. You're not waiting for anything. You're, the only limitation is your own imagination and your own inclination of scientific models. So imagine that as you're racing through COVID. If you had to get COVID out and you're one of those great pharmaceutical companies who have made the breakthrough of the vaccine, and I heard today on the radio that they weren't looking to actually help out the protein and the enzymes until 2023, and they've got Herculean job of doing it two or three years earlier. The only way you can do that is using a parallel file system. We think WEC is the best of that, where everyone can work collaboratively at real time. And if someone has a breakthrough and a difference on the AB variant, they can do it right away. And another variant, another one, and another enzyme test all the way through. So you can do all the work all the time collaboratively, and everyone's improving everyone into a full network effect, which really what the internet was based on. Sorry, I hope that helped. No, no, no. That was a great analogy because the way you describe it very sounds very much like, you know, branched software development where each person is working on their own piece of code and they're going to check in their branch. It doesn't overwrite the existing. You're saying you can bring this type of technology to like massive file structures that, you know, for example, you're talking about mapping the human genome. Mm -hmm. It obviously is a huge file system. You're talking about different scientists discovering different, like you said, different elements of it at any given time. They can be able to check in their work concurrently, multiple, like you said, 200 of the world's leading scientists can check in work concurrently. And 
I guess there's what Weka or the company will determine a master who is the person that is the arbiter of the master data, because obviously you don't want to check in something that overwrites or just, you know, like maybe conflicts with someone else. Is that how it works? Like who is, I guess, who is the owner of the, uh, yeah, the Weka file system becomes a version control master. Yes. Gotcha. And then someone who works at the the company can say, okay, this is the right one. Include this one. This one is incorrect you know, kick it out or something. The Weka platform is sophisticated enough that can allow policy controls to be administered by the company. Yes, absolutely. So that's fascinating. What's happening right now is my mind's starting to turn, right? I'm trying to think of all these different applications from different use cases. Your science application is, I mean, it's actually the perfect one because of the fact that (laughs) I'm aware like in the MRRs and the EMR electronic medical records uh, field, how big the files are that are moving back and forth all the time in this, uh, in that environment for our audience, give an example of like the size of the files that are being loaded and concurrently worked on for our customers. Because, you know, in, in like the idea of gigabits per file, how big are they? Or I guess they're even bigger than gigabits per file. Oh, yeah, the largest file, well, that's up to your own imagination. But our typical clients range between 50 terabytes. Uh, I'll go with the file size in just a second. So 50 terabytes. Our largest is multiple exabytes. <laughs> uh, we do some business with the federal government. So it's just, uh, it's huge. It's huge. That uh, the one that uh, one of the largest ones allows us to talk about it in the genomics England. They were seventy petabytes, and like I said, their main use is COVID resiliency. Now, when they made this, it was just a race to do five million genomes, so mapping the human genome, five million people. That was all they're doing it. But then they switched as it was necessary for the civilization of the world. They said, "Wait a minute! No one's going to trust China during the situation. No one's trusting the U.S. during the situation. We're going to get all these scientists to put all their information in the Swiss." So we, we deal with the Swiss Institute of Bio, Bioinformatics. In fact, they're one of our reference customers on our website. They talked about it publicly. So everyone trusted putting their information with the Swiss. But then you had to work off of it. So then it went to Genomics England to work through the COVID resiliency. And then everywhere else, I think Oxford University, you might have read about Pfizer, you might have read about Moderna, and there's a bunch of other companies that are working towards a vaccine. Yep. It was a basically a race to do a vaccine, and other people had to work through uh, resiliency on, and, and like I said before, stratification to figure out who gets it first. And is it first-line workers? Is it people that are ailing from it who might be in a respirator and figure out what it would be? And then all the different modeling, all the different algorithms to figure out when you switch out life expectancy and how what's good for the greater good. Now, you said a very good point. Who decides those policies? Well, that's de- dependent on the politics of a given country or a given state. We'll find out very soon. Right. But no, it is powerful. It's, it's allowed to, and I'm, I don't write code for a living, but no, it is a nice, powerful analogy that you're doing branch code. You're not bastardizing anything in the past. You're only improving the next version. So it's, think of version control for a file system administered by the rules and policies of a company that allow greater good to always happen. So it's almost like the internet got better when people started trusting and putting more information out there. And uh, whether it be reputation or LinkedIn or an eBay or whatever out there, the power of the network that Robert Medcalf came up with years ago, you get more benefit the more people that use it. So hopefully that helps. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, one of our partners, ESG, found out of the 10 world's largest data farms or big data environments, none of the 10 were in WECA. So this is what's interesting about talking to you versus reading websites. And we always talk about this with some of our guests is that websites kind of often get cluttered with, you know, some of the buzzwords because they want to maybe meet SEO or I don't know of the problems and solutions. And when you talk about the file system for those who solve big problems, that's, that's Weka's verbatim on the website. 
I don't think it does justice to what you just described. So what you just described, the fact that the size of files that you're working on, the fact that you're solving like the world's, you know, I would say one of the more pressing problems of the entire world. So good job on you in describing the actual problems that you guys are trying to solve. Well, thank you. Yeah, we have a consultant that says you should change it. You should change it from instead of solve the big problems, which, you know, if you're not in IT, they might have some problems too. I'm, you know, but um, they think it should be either getting digital business done. That's pretty cool. Or solving modern data problems. Because with, with all due respect, calling a file system is kind of a misnomer. It's kind of just a modern data solution, if that made sense, where anything can be really solved. And over time, that will really be the, the storage of the future. And I think it's the right person to be in charge of the go-to-market now because I'm the person when I was in college, I thought to myself, wait a minute, there's at the time, sorry to predate and go through a history type uh, lesson or pontificate back on history. But at the time I was coming out of college in the late 80s, you had IBM supercomputers or mini computers. You had digital. Yes, there's a company called Digital. Um, there's a company called Wang, was great in word processing. There's a company called Prime. And there's a company called Hewlett Packard. Two of those still exist. But my point being is whoever you bought that from, wherever you bought the upgrades, so I'm talking memory, storage, et cetera, you were beholden back to them. It was crazy. Yep. And that's what started the storage business. EMC came out of that because people want choice. You want to democratize storage. What you just said, wait a minute, just because I bought your server doesn't mean I have to buy your slow storage behind it or your expensive storage. And you probably figured out if they made 50% margin on selling the server, they were making 90% margin on some bad storage behind it. So all EMC was a separate choice, no different than if you went to buy a car, you don't want to go back to General Motors to buy your tires. They're not good at making tires and they rip you off. You want to go to Goodyear yeah. or someplace <laughs> that specialized in tire. Exactly. So EMC was the Goodyear tire of that generation. Ironically, you're talking to the guy who will probably find a way with the go-to-market going well, emulating like VMware. Like you really don't care where you buy VMware, you just want it on the system because you don't want to be buying app server, app server, app server, and have a bunch of pizza box servers in your, in your data center. You want to have as many apps as you can, the, the mind can imagine run behind, I don't know, two to four clustered servers with failover and big hunk and big servers with as much NVMe flash out there so they run as fast as possible. So, I mean, think back to every high school that ran out um, their own data center. I mean, who could have foresaw COVID coming into their environment and how can you quickly roll out some type of screen share so everyone can get back to class? Well, that's why the cloud and the benefit of Zoom helped out. The same type of analogy I would give out is, you know, the, the model of how VMware sold, where everyone can sell it, and it's kind of agnostic. You just want virtualization to happen. That's kind of my thought between on the go-to-market for Weka. I don't really care who sells it as long as people use it. So you have better performance, 10 times the performance. You buy from the server vendor you're using. And you just accelerate your compute and you accelerate your file system altogether. Now, I got to ask this question because you kind of hinted at it earlier. Has COVID been the primary explosion point or has it been a big explosion point for Weka because of the fact that so many people concurrently are trying to solve this existing problem? Or how did it impact, I guess, the overall business? Because I understand that you've been president for, you know, pretty recently. You're actually post-COVID. It says June 2020 on your LinkedIn profile. Yeah, middle of June I joined. Yeah, so we grew 6%. So I think it was growing because the world was looking for a better way. Right. I think it was just looking for a better way to collaborate and do through it. COVID accelerated it um, because it gave a compelling reason we could all identify with. But to be very clear, we've got NDA signed up with the vaccine makers and everyone's like that to get specifics as part of it. But in a COVID world, what it did unfortunately hurt a lot of companies. They said, wait a minute, I don't want to buy from any new vendors until we find out when COVID's going to be over or when a vaccine's going to be out. 
But what's happening to us, and some of your listeners will probably identify this quite well, as you come out of COVID, people have been stockpiling cash reserves. And you come out of COVID and say, what can I spend money on? And I'll, I'll hearken back to a couple other trajectories. In the mid-90s, people went up to ERP. And they revolutionized the company and mostly they bought SAP R3. And it changed everything. And then flash back to not long ago, people came up with, wait a minute, what, what, what cloud product could be a killer app that we all can benefit from? And Office 365, right around 2013, the cloud kind of exploded. It was very big, but exploded in, I call business applications. And almost everybody went to Office 365. It was a flagship tech product that we all galvanized around and made just some of the things we did in the past easier. And you didn't have these huge version upgrades. You just rode the uh, wave of the cloud, which is kind of cool. What's happening, we believe, is coming out of COVID, these stockpiles of cash are saying, wait a minute, how do we get a competitive edge? I'm not going to kid you. We love supplying to you know, large HPC environments, large universities, places that are trying to do cures. But there's a lot of Fortune 2000 people too. Yeah. And in the Fortune 2000, you're trying to get a competitive edge. So in retail, manufacturing, finance, you're literally going after a competitive edge you're using AI as that. And let me dispel the myth what AI is. All you're doing for AI or artificial intelligence is you're buying a GPU from NVIDIA, one of the resellers. You're buying a parallel file system from Weka or one of our people that actually put it inside their server, and you're typically upgrading your network. So that's a shared service for everybody. If you have that triangle, let's call it an equilibrium triangle, all working where all sides are equal and all angles are equal, magic can happen. And then you'll get a competitive edge versus your competitors, no matter what discipline you're in, whatever vertical you're in, and then other people will be chasing you. So to answer your question, the reason why we're being boosted up is people are initiating AI initiatives and they need to make them work. And you want to start slow, the old model, crawl, walk, run. Yep. Well, if you're crawling, we're small enough to work with you. We have some price advantages for that. And you can work on the cloud. As you get medium and you bring it on premises, back to that analogy about VMware, because of VMware, they caused everyone to make bigger servers that were more robust. So you didn't buy 100 pizza box servers, all one you. You bought two or three kick-ass servers, kick-butt servers, and you made them with failover and resiliency. And you made them bigger and bigger and bigger. So people were driven to putting flash or NVMe flash, non-volatile memory flash, inside of them for advantage to get speed. Because you can't teach speed, you can't fight physics. So people use speed, the actual NVMe flash to get better returns. So coming out of COVID, I'm not saying we're out of the way there, and I don't want to predict an exact month that will be over, because it never really will be over. If you think about it, I still get a flu shot, even though in theory there's, a, there's been a flu vaccine for many, many years. Yeah. But as you come out of it, what can you do to take that stockpiled cash as a business executive and use AI to your advantage. And we think Weka, when compiled along with an NVIDIA GPU, is a certain and nice, affordable, competitive weapon for some of these Fortune 2000s. One final data point, I only joined in June. Thank you for looking that up. <laughs> I've only been here for six months. And I'm kind of one of the few executives that know storage and SaaS. There's lots of people who know SaaS. You know, go to salesforce.com, for example, on that. A lot of people know storage. You know, a lot of companies, I happen to work for the biggest of all of them, EMC, which is now Dell. Not many people know both. So with that combination, we've been able to enjoy nine of the Fortune 64 have blessed their AI projects with Weka. So nine of the 64. And that's pretty good for a startup of our size. No, that's pretty impressive. Now, let's talk a little bit about your history, because one of the things that you clearly have articulated is your ability to understand and recognize and recall, if you want to say, different inflection points in technology business throughout the years. According to your LinkedIn, you are have high profile positions at many different software and storage companies. Talk a little bit about your career. 
it's, it looks like your bit, first big one was, like you said, VPGM at EMC, mm-hmm. which you've also served as CRO for Western Digital, another storage company, as uh, <laughs> Barracuda Network. Uh, <laughs> uh, you've been in your board advisor on tons of different companies. Talk a little bit about your background. How did you get into technology? What brought you into this sector? And talk about some of those. I think we want to dive into some of those big inflection points that you just hinted at in just a moment. But yeah, let's start first. How did you get into technology? Well, I grew up in Rockland, Massachusetts. Um, it's south, south of South Boston, so not quite Goodwill hunting, but kind of near there. I love computers. Um, the school I went to, Rockland, go Bulldogs, um, had an, a VAX 11750. If you're 53 or 54 years old, you probably get what that is. If, if you're younger, it was just basically um, one of the bigger computers at the time made by digital, which was then bought by Compaq, was then bought by Hewlett Packard at the time. So we did have a time-sharing computer available. And um, if you go way, way back, before I even got my first Apple, I used a Commodore 64. So it only had 64 kilobytes on there. So I was used to programming. My mind kind of worked with that. My grandfather had been a scientist and my dad had been an accountant. So I kind of had that type of mind behind it. But no, I went through high school and then went to Boston College. And I was a computer science minor. But at some point, I made the transformation over to marketing and business and business management because I realized... I liked coding, I liked developing, but I liked figuring out the, you know, the so what of it even better. So it wasn't so much, I didn't mind writing in basic or Pascal or C or any of those other languages. I really enjoyed what they could do for it instead. So one of my mentors always said, people know how, work for people know why. So I moved to a business management major for my degree out of Boston College because I wanted to know why people were coding and why people were doing around it. So that was my background. So some people go to college and they just bump into a job. I literally in high school and middle school prepared for this moment my whole life. And I went and went to Boston College with that in mind. I, I knew I was going to be in technology. I knew I wanted to convey people. Bad analogy, but I throw it out there. I wanted to take a, a Scientific American. Yes, there was a magazine out there called Scientific American or a Popular Mechanics. I wanted to take that world and make it available to the USA Today type generation. <laughs> so simplified, easy, so what moments where people can say, oh, if I do that, I can get my pill to market one quarter earlier. And my pill costs $4 million to make, and it's for Alzheimer's. So you just made me $100 million by buying this file system. Yes, we have. Great. I'll put that in our report. So my background was that um, in technology. And I went to Boston College. And I literally was, as a sophomore at Boston College, it was a senior level class. It was professional selling was the name of the class. In came the instructor. And he said, I've got great news, everybody. There's a new company out there called Egan Marino Corporation, otherwise to be called EMC, and they have internships for $5 an hour. Why raise my hand? (laughs) Is it $5 an hour and 2% on these memory cards we sold? I became the first inside sales rep in the history of EMC. And that was employee number 110, and I rode that for 25 years. And um, if there's any advice I'd give to anybody listening out there, I would, uh, Steve Harvey has a better video out there than I could ever do, but it's basically said, when you get the chance in front of you, jump. It might cause you to move. It might cause you to go from somewhere comfortable to something uncomfortable, uh, almost like jumping over a, I know, a three-foot crevasse. I mean, if you miss, you could really fall pretty bad. And you land, it's going to hurt your feet a little bit for a few seconds to withstand the blow, but you've got to the other side. So um, throughout my career, I, I grew up in Massachusetts. I still have a hint of an accent. Um, if I have a few beers on a Saturday night and my high school friends, it probably even gets worse. But my point being is I knew I had to head west. So I moved west for the company several different places, and they opened up a bunch of offices for EMC. And um, at one point, my wife said to me after, I think it was after 24 years at EMC, 
and I was running the Flash group. So Flash has been near and dear to my heart. She goes, Kenny, what, you're never going to be the next CEO of, e, of EMC. What's the one thing you wanted to do? And I said, well, I wanted to go to a startup in California because if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. <laughs> you know, kind of like when the Beverly Hillbillies hit oil. You got to move to Beverly yeah. Hills. I don't know, but the things are bigger there and they have a cement bond. So, um, so I give away the theme of uh, Beverly Hillbillies for those who haven't seen that show in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> I think you're going to be safe. <laughs> but uh, I moved west and I left EMC, which I was a general manager and vice president of a $1.3 billion division of EMC. Comfortable life. I mean, really kind of cool from dollar one to that. But I left that to go to a startup, literally day one in Milpitas, California, not exactly the most glamorous city in all of California, but still Silicon Valley. And I think I was employee number 70 of a company that did about $2 million in sales. But it made a flashcard that made everything faster. And that company was called Verident, which is Latin for the word green. So if you think about it, you could put this in and you replaced all your spinning disk drives. Our biggest customer was LinkedIn. So that's why I spend so much time on LinkedIn because I got to sell to a guy named Jeff and a couple of great uh, technology people at LinkedIn. Jeff was their CEO. I didn't know. He was a pretty unassuming guy. He came in the room one day and said, hey, we're losing to Facebook for stickiness on mobile because we have a like button. We're going to come up with an endorse button, E-N-D-O-R-S-E. What can we do to make it sticky? And I was one of the vendors who said, you don't want to you know, hourglass them. So the last thing you want to do is say, hey, this person's really good at podcasting. This really per- person's really good in SaaS. This person's really good in storage. You want to click and endorse them. You don't want to hourglass and have latency stop you and say, I don't want to ever do that again. Yeah. You want them to thought, wow, this is great. I want to endorse this person. This person will endorse me and start a whole mobile stickiness. So the reason why LinkedIn bought from us wasn't because we're faster, because what they could do with the speed allowed them to get stickiness on mobile, which attracted more users. So went from EMC, went to a small company called Veridant supplying the LinkedIn. We supplied to other customers as well. Western Digital bought that. I got to become their enterprise CRO. At one point, I said, geez, I'm going up through sales. I might want to learn overall business and actually manage engineers. I think I could do that. So a friend of my BJ Jenkins, reached out to me, and I went over to security business. And learning security is not such a bad thing. So I went over to Barracuda. I got to be involved with the company as it went public. So they IPO'd under the symbol CUDA. Then they later went private. But for the almost three years I was there as an SVP and general manager, I worked at Barracuda, so I understood security, and some of the products was delivered in SaaS. You know, all my life before I joined Barracuda, I'd always sold a product, and then you'd get a maintenance contract a year later, or a year later after that, a year later after that. That's how I used to do it. I never really worked through the SaaS business. So Barracuda allowed me to manage engineers and learn more business perspective and understand how to go through sprints and um, go through the different modeling that was being necessary for actually putting out a SaaS business. And I was at Barracuda. When I was at Barracuda, I fell in love with a particular product. They called it CUDASIGN, C-U-D-A-S-I-G-N. It was a product for about $200,000 was their run rate. And it was a consumer-based e-signature product. And I saw the success of DocuSign and the success of Adobe Sign. And I figured there probably needs to be a third. The world needs a leader, a follower, and an albatross. <laughs> so I went to BJ and said, BJ, would you mind if I spun this out? So I, I spun it out. And the folks that were listening to me from Sign Now, you know what happened. We changed the name to Sign Now, S-I-G-N-N-O-W, and that became our company. And it was about 30 of us um, out of Newport Beach, California, and that became a standalone company, and a lot of people noticed it. And uh, what we could do differently was this. If you flew, you know, let's assume COVID's over with, and you flew to a different place, and you flew to LaGuardia Airport, you would never boot up your computer and order an Uber. That'd be crazy. Who would do that? 
when you land at LaGuardia Airport, you look and use a thumb click, you go to your Uber app or Lyft app, and you order they ride and you bypass the line. You don't have to wait an hour line for a yellow cab. You get an Uber in your terms and your pricing. If you want to have a nice ride, you get an X. Or if you want a better than next ride, you can get a luxury one. It controlled everything. So my point being is that's what SignNow did differently. They allowed you to initiate on a mobile device. So that small company grew to about $59 million of revenue ARR. It allowed me to gain confidence that I can manage engineers, engineers, excuse me, by milestone management. And it gave me confidence that you could take a product and grow it fast. And um, that was really, really, really cool. So I did that. I did some consulting along the way. I was an advisor to a couple of different companies. I was uh, one of the first customers of Zoom, which is really kind of cool. And I'm, I'm advising a couple of companies that you'll hear a lot from in the ensuing months, a company called Copilot uh, that allows you to actually help out people inside of a, uh, a Zoom that it gives you advice. If you're an SDR and you want to know what to say next, there will actually be a panel to help you all through that. And I advise a company called Modigi, which is really reinventing the way people do mobile commerce, which is really kind of cool. But as I was going through these different contracting arrangements and going through different advisorships, a recruiter called me um, from a company called Diversa and basically said, we need somebody who lives in Silicon Valley, who's built companies before, who knows SaaS and knows storage, and you're the top of the heap. We need you. So I was introduced very quickly to Weka, and it's been a pleasurable ride ever since. So since I think it was June 15th, I started, and we've been doing nothing but growing and hopefully helping our customers ever since. Now, that is quite a ride. Now, one of the things that you hinted at earlier in the conversation, which I want to dive into, was you talked about these inflection points. And so I was in college during the crash of 2000, and when I would say there was like a, like the stock market crash of tech companies, there became, I would say, a growing distrust in software companies. And I think we saw like the rise of SaaS, the idea that you could try, you know, consume services on a monthly basis versus over-investing in them. You mentioned before the rise of cloud. You mentioned 2013 in the business application world, but I would say that was probably, would you agree that it was started, it felt like it started closer to like the financial crisis of 2008, where then was people were like, okay, we could actually rent infrastructure and services after that huge financial fallout. And then you talked about this other inflection point, which is right now, which is, you know, COVID has set many, many companies back. Uh, let's use, for example, not just, you know, medical science is jumping forward, but let's use like hospitality and retail because they're, like you said, they've been scaled back by quite a bit. So now you mentioned the new investments will be in AI to provide better services or whatever to the next wave of customer. Do you see it as that, as uh, these different huge inflection points that makes businesses change fundamentally, or do you view it more as, you know, something else? Well, that's funny. We look back to the 2008 financial crash. A lot of things did come out of that. You're right. I think you have to have both the technology and the socioeconomic backing at the same time. So we'll come out of it as a quick example. So I do believe three things are not going to change. People are going to use accelerated compute. I think that's going to be GPU, graphical processing units. Uh, flash is going to change. I mean, once you to a solid state, how do you change out of that? And I think people are going to go to cloud. You can go to cloud. I mean, think about it. You and I could start a startup tomorrow. And we need to build a data center. We can just pay per month. Pay per month and away you go. So if you have cloud, flash, and accelerated compute, I call it GPU, all behind you, I think those are the inflection points are going to happen. So I did make that correlation that 2013 was a big boom because it was a killer app called Office 65. That's the year that Microsoft went to the cloud. Yep. And then we all needed desktop software. And this happened before. We talked about ERP. We talked about VMware as well at one point when it was just crazy to go app, server, app, server, app, server. That's insane. People wanted choice. So they had to go to VMware. So 
I think what's happened with the democratization of storage will happen as well. So it's true that the outliers in science have been buying from Wecker for years. In fact, uh, when uh, supercompute goes back to a real show versus a virtual show, they're actually people. Now, they're, they're play tattoos, but people put WEC on their arms. Like some people put, might put Harley Davidson or some people might put other things that really <laughs> land in a brand. But for the HPC world, it makes sense. And I think some of your listeners will probably aspire to be CDOs, Chief Data Officers. We have a show about that. We, oh, we actually do? have a show about it. Yeah, Chief Data Officer. You, do, you better believe it. The Data Chief. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I've got to listen to that. But I believe that's going to be the career for the next decade plus. And here's why. I look back at what Mark Benioff did. And when Benioff, I read his book, and I think everyone's probably read his book, when he was swimming with the dolphins, he was an SDP, comfortable at Oracle, working for Larry Ellison. He was the best seller at Oracle. He had conquered everything, but he was not going to replace Larry Ellison. So kind of like my wife said, I wasn't going to replace Joe Tucci, DMC, yep. you know, go swim with the dolphins. She didn't say swim with the dolphins. Benioff basically invented cloud and SaaS. And if you think about it, what he did really right, no disrespect to the CRM that he built, because at the end of the day, it's an Oracle database that we've all used for, called Salesforce. What he did right, he raised the prestige of a certain position called a CRM admin. And I swear in my life, in 2013, that job was less than six figures. And it was a, a position that had a desk, but the desk was near the bathroom or the hallway <laughs> or the elevator. Now, in 2020, that job is multiple six figures. Yeah, Salesforce administrators. Oh, yeah. Salesforce administrator. Okay, and I, I, I'm glad you have the same humor I have. It's a Salesforce administrator. That position is paid similar to the salesperson. I mean, in fact, the OTE on track earnings is similar to an exact salesperson or one of your best salespeople. And not only do they sit next to the CRO, they're probably the person that the last 12 hours before a board meeting, who the CRO meets with most often. I've been a CRO six times. And a CRM admin, now called a business operations manager, is the most precious resource you have. If you think about it, yeah. what did Benioff do to change that? He gave away these little hoodies that look like Zuckerberg called Trailblazers. He created a show called Dreamforce that was around educating CRM admins. That show, as you know, is over 100,000 people strong. It's probably the biggest show out there. We place Comdex and everything else. It's the biggest show. It shuts down San Francisco for a week, and everyone's paying $2,000 for a hotel room to get a little hoodie that says Trailblazer. That's Benioff dreaming of raising prestige of the position. I am not Benioff, but I'm the person saying that the CDO, the chief data officer, what an incredible position. As you think about it, all these academic people that know HPC, high-performance compute, they're all being plucked by the Fortune 2000 because you come out of COVID. How do you take the stockpile of cash? And if you look at the retail world, right now, unfortunately, the small mom and pop, they're struggling because of COVID. But the big chains are flourishing. People are still using going to toilet paper to buy Walmart and Target. They're still going to keep on flourishing. So they're trying to find a competitive edge coming out of COVID. So what's happening is people are plucking these data architects from MIT, Stanford, or the rising stars getting out of the, sorry, abstract world, the scholastic world, into the monetized world. And IT has not been respected by those type of people in the past. So what I believe the chief data officer is uniquely positioned to be a bridge between the rigor and the rules and the discipline and the compliance of IT that has made the place, you know, basically breach-proof. And on the other side, what's possible? What's, what's imaginable? What's possible? You know, Mars landing, stuff like that, COVID cures, COVID vaccines. But the chief data officer is a powerful position, and they're the clients of Weka. They're the people saying, this is crazy. If I'm going to start all over again, buy electric vehicles. Makes sense. If I start all over again, 
Do it all with AI. Do it all with GPUs. Do it all with a parallel file system. And let's go to a 400 gigabyte network or InfiniBand. Let's get a competitive edge because you, you haven't asked this yet, but I'll volunteer it. You know, somewhere up to 60 or 70% of corporate data goes unused. That's a shame. You think about how much money is spent to create these giant databases and these data marts, these data lakes, and 60%, according to Forrester, which is also backed by Fortune, and was also backed by Kathy Island when she interviewed me, and <laughs> 50 to 70% of the information is, is backed. And actually, Kathy is a great friend of mine, and she's the one who introduced me to Dr. Fauci because we do some work with the NIH and uh, others. But uh, she's uh, been on a lot of boards, including the WNBA and uh, American um, Cancer Society and a bunch of others. So she's got a lot of good connections and actually been a great job of reinventing technology-wise. But my point being is for inflection points, I think this will be the eve of AI. And if you're either running an AI project or you're losing to someone who has. But very astute trend analysis by you. Well, appreciate it. Listen, Ken, this is the part of the episode, or the show, where we ask you quick questions so that our audience get to know you a little better. Uh, short, quick answers. You ready? This is the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Ken, do you have a favorite book or a podcast? Favorite book? Yes, I do. It was uh, A Time to Kill by John Grisham. There you go. Do you have a favorite band or artist for music? Yes, Van Halen. God bless Eddie Van Halen, who passed away up in heaven right now. Eddie Van Halen and Van Halen. There you go. What is the quintessential Van Halen song? Oh, uh, you really got me. <laughs> what is the first song you remember by them? By them, Running with the Devil. Running with the Devil. There you go. What is the best one-day getaway from your home? Tahoe. There you go. Are you a skier or a snowboarder? I am a uh, surfer. Uh, actually, full transparency, uh, full clarity, it's a SUP. I stand up paddleboard with a paddle, but I love it. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, so is that what you do at Tahoe? Uh, Tahoe, the, there isn't a lot of waves. It's very tranquil to do it. I live across from something called Private's Beach in Santa Cruz. There are more waves. Unfortunately, I started at 52 years old, don't know how to surf. So I'm way behind all the locals, but I love it. Oh, I was trying to connect your one-way getaway with your hobby. So I just assumed you paddleboarded uh, Tahoe, which I've seen pictures of. It's very clear in the Lake Tahoe is very clear. That's beautiful. But it's, it's a, there's no waves. It's very tranquil. Even someone like me with not a lot of balance could do that. Hey, listen, I'm an avid surfer myself. So I know uh, if you're a wave hunter, now we're thinking the same thing. Although I've never surfed Santa Cruz. I've only, I've, of course, I know about it. Legendary. Well, you should. Jack O'Neill invented the wetsuit at the beach that I live on. So if you've ever had a wetsuit in your life, thank Jack O'Neill. He was one of my neighbors. There you go. I have, and I, I do distinctly remember the fact that the people said no one, Jack O'Neill, he never invented neoprene. He invented the use case for it, which is the wetsuit. <laughs> What's the best advice you would give someone for the first time heading into technology? Sorry, I, I kind of look through the lens of being a salesperson. So if you don't know the name of the company and it sounds kind of weird and you even go to their website and you don't look past the naming of the company and more into what the big macro trend it can solve. I was driven to WECA because I wanted to solve big problems. I was drove to WECA because it was during COVID. I was driven to WECA because I envision a world where like SAP HANA, where there is no external storage. So yes, you listen to the person who wrote for 33 years, the rise of external storage. WECA will make storage a feature of the server like VMware has made virtualization a feature of the server. There you go. Ken, thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing your background and history and thanks for giving us a preview into what Weka is doing. Thank you. Have a great day. I can't, thank you so much. And I'll look at your CDO webcast as well. 
IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.